Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I know that the message title sounds like it's an advertisement for a health spa or a workout program on television, Getting the Body You've Always Wanted. It is what people want these days. You know, I was reading USA Today last week, and I found something that just cracked me up. You know how in the front of USA Today they have, in the left-hand corner, little fast facts, and sometimes they're odd facts and figures? Um, it said that during this summer, it is projected, as they go from Memorial Day to Labor Day, the summer, Americans will consume seven billion hot dogs. And that averages out to be, according to this same little piece of information, 818 hot dogs every second are consumed. That is not the way to get the body you've always wanted, by the way. But the body, the physical body, is what motivates people to run, to lift weights, to bicycle, uh, in some cases to nip and tuck and stretch and do everything they can to preserve the body. It's, just the diet industry alone is $33 billion per year. Uh, there was a poll that was conducted, and a very interesting question was asked in the poll. If you could change one thing about your life, what would it be? That's a, that's a good question, by the way. If you could change one thing about your life, what would it be? What's interesting is that the results, none of them had to do with character, my habits, lifestyle. Almost overwhelmingly, it was I would change something about my outward physical appearance. Age, hair, weight, body type, face, etc. And it seems to even be affecting kids. There was a mom trying to break her little boy of sucking his thumb, and she was so frustrated because he wouldn't stop. And finally she said, What good is it to suck your thumb? And he said, Well, it is non-fattening, mother. <laughs> One day your dream will come true. One day in your resurrected, glorified body, it will be the body you've always dreamed of having. I, I broke down this week and saw Indiana Jones. I wanted to see it, and I saw it. And talk about a resurrection, that old guy's still kicking. But, um, but at the beginning of the film, and I won't give it away, but at the beginning of the film, Indiana Jones is talking to the dean of the college, and he's about to go out on an adventure, and his friend, is he looks at Indiana, and they're both getting older. Uh, he says to Indiana Jones, We seem to have reached the age where life seems to stop giving us things and starts taking things away. That's true, isn't it? The older we get, we notice that things that we have been given, they start leaving. People that we love start dying. Our health starts leaving, etc. And so we groan, as we said last week. Somebody in this fellowship graciously gave me a really great illustration I want to share with you. This person writes, I want to live my next life backwards. I'll start out dead. 
and get that out of the way right off the bat. And then I'll wake up in a nursing home feeling better every day. When I'm kicked out of the home for being too healthy, I'll spend several years enjoying my retirement collecting benefit checks. When I start work, I'll get a gold watch on my first day. I'll work for 40 years or so, getting younger every day, until pretty soon I'll be too young to work. So then I'll go to high school, play sports, date, and party. As I get younger, I'll become a kid again. I'll go to elementary school, play, and have no responsibilities. In a few years, I'll become a baby, and everyone will run themselves ragged just trying to keep me happy. Finally, I'll spend my last nine months floating peacefully in luxury in spa-like conditions with central heating and room service on tap. (laughs) That's classic. Life in reverse. Can you imagine having a body that doesn't wear out? Can you imagine having a body that never gets tired, never needs a nap, never gets exhausted, never grows weary? Can you imagine having a body that is not susceptible to disease at all, or atrophy, or handicaps, or aches, or pains? Imagine having a body that never gains weight, never loses hair, never gets wrinkled, never sags, never droops. Imagine that. Now, you're saying, that's all I can do is imagine that. But one day it will be reality. You won't have to imagine that. The Scripture teaches that we are both body and soul, and God's plan for redemption includes both. And He includes both of them to be eternally together. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. You know the story. Nobody could put Humpty back together again after he fell and broke into pieces. God's plan is to put us back together again, but in a whole lot better shape than before. We continue our little study in this chapter that we began last week, and it's part of a greater series called From the Edge of Eternity. And we're dealing with the resurrection of the body. As we mentioned last week, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is the most exhaustive treatment on bodily resurrection in all of the Bible. So we begin in verse 35, and here's the layout in this paragraph. Paul begins by introducing two questions. He goes from questions that are asked to illustrations to answer the question. So he asks two questions. He gives three illustrations, and he follows that, summing it all up by four declarations. So questions, illustrations, and declarations. Let's look at verse 35 for the questions. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? These are two good questions. The how question and the what question. How does this all work? And if it does work, what will we look like when it does work? Last week, there were our Saturday night service. A lot of people will sit in the cool of the evening out in the amphitheater for overflow. A couple guys were sitting there, and one turned to his friend and said, Isn't this amazing? Can you figure this out? Can you get your mind around our resurrected body? And that guy went, 
I can't even pay my rent, let alone think about my resurrected body. It's just so enormous a thing to imagine. The resurrection is bewildering. It does prompt questions. And the questions that Paul introduces seem to have been questions that were being asked by people in Corinth in a mocking kind of a way, a sneering kind of a way. These were sarcastic taunts. How will the dead raise? Now here's why. Corinth was a Greek city. It was permeated with Greek philosophy. And as you may know, the Greeks thought very ill of any idea of a resurrection. It was abhorrent to them. The body, they said, is the prison. The goal is to escape the body, not come back with the body. Who on earth would want to be resurrected, they would think. Since the goal is to escape the body, why get trapped again? That's one segment that brought these questions. Another segment came from within the church itself. There were a group of people in the church known as Gnostics. Have you ever heard that term, Gnostic? It's spelled G-N-O-S-T-I-C, Gnostic. And it was a group of people who said they were Christians, but their belief system was the whole material world is evil. Everything material, tangible is evil. And only that which is spiritual, intangible, immaterial is good. So they said... A good God would not have created a material universe. Also, they said, Jesus must not have been physical. He must have been a phantom. He looked like he was real, but he really wasn't, because everything material is evil. So they had a problem with the physical resurrection as well. They denied the resurrection. I'm going to bring something up that sort of helps interface with this. Maybe you've caught a couple of the articles in National Geographic on this discovered book, known as the Gospel of Judas. Anybody ever heard of the Gospel of Judas? And the idea of the Gospel of Judas, it's the real story. It's the story you as Christians haven't been told. It's a Gnostic Gospel. And in the Gospel of Judas, there are supposed conversations with Judas Iscariot. He is identified in the book as the 13th spirit sent to liberate Jesus Christ from his body. He's been trapped by the Incarnation... So, he actually did Jesus a service by betraying him to the Romans who would kill him to release his spirit from his body that trapped him. So, Judas is now the hero of the story. All of that reflects Gnostic thinking, Gnostic antipathy toward physical resurrection. That's going on in Corinth as Paul is writing this. I would say things really haven't changed much these days. I would say that if you were to go out on the street and ask the average person, what do you believe happens when a person dies, you'll get a a few different responses. The, The most overwhelming response is absolutely nothing. They're annihilationists. They believe that you live, you die, your body decays, it's gone, nothing happens after that, you just cease to exist. There's another group, I'll call them spiritualists. They think... Well, you live forever in your soul in some form or fashion doing something or another. We don't exactly know what, but you sort of continue to drift out there as a spirit. And still another group, a growing group, I would say, in our country, believes in reincarnation. Twenty-five percent of Americans now believe in reincarnation, the transmigration of the soul from one body to another. 
There's even past life therapists who will tell you what you used to be in that previous body before you got into this body. Now, here's the point. Once you die and leave this corpse, it's discarded, no use for it at all, you get a new form. All of that is the complete opposite to what Paul is teaching. But it forms the mindset of these questions. How are the dead raised up? What will they look like? Well, we ask some of the same questions, only with a different motivation. We ask questions like, uh, how, how is God going to raise the dead if, let's say, the guy gets cremated and now his ashes are over four different mountain ranges? How's God going to pull that one off? Or what if a guy gets killed at sea and is eaten by sharks and the sharks go a hundred miles away from each other? Or out in the wilderness, a lion gets one limb, a wildebeest gets another, the lion gets eaten by a wildebeest, the wildebeest gets eaten by a gorilla, and now they're in all these different species all over the jungle. Or what about an amputee? Will an amputee be an amputee forever? Will a stroke victim be incapacitated forever? These are very real questions that we have. So let's move from questions to answering the questions by three illustrations. Verse 36. (laughs) Very interesting how Paul begins his answer. He says, Foolish one! What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat, or some other grain. God gives it a body as He pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies up in the sky and terrestrial bodies down on the earth. The glory of the celestial is one. The glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. He answers the questions by three illustrations. One illustration from botany, the seed. One illustration from zoology, the species of different kinds of flesh. And an illustration from astronomy, the different kind of stars. The first illustration is particularly helpful. It helps us understand what it's going to be like in our bodies. You see, a seed gets put into the ground. It dies. It decomposes. And the seed ceases to exist in that form. It is transformed. Though it's the the seed, it gets changed into something completely different and beautiful. I was uh, watching YouTube this week trying to find seeds that grow for this illustration. And have you ever seen the time-lapse photography shots of how plants grow very rapidly? Well, they showed radish seeds put in the ground, decomposing, dying, and then, after a period of time, little roots start to jet out toward the bottom, root themselves in the soil, and then more roots, and then a root system, and then a little stem, and then a little plant, and then the plant grows, and finally, radishes. Fabulous transformation. I'm not saying you're going to be a radish in the resurrection or anywhere near that, but the amazing transformation, that's what Paul's getting at with this illustration. And this simple illustration brings out three important truths about our resurrection. 
Three important truths. Mystery, number one. Continuity, number two. And improvement, number three. Now follow me here. First is mystery. A seed going into the ground and dying and up comes a plant illustrates the mystery of one of the greatest principles in all of the Scripture. And here's the principle. Life comes from death. The product of death is life. That's a great mystery. It's a great truth. Jesus uses the same illustration to speak about His death and resurrection. John chapter 12, He says, Unless a grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Speaking about His death and resurrection. Jesus could not offer salvation. He could not offer eternal life unless He first died on a cross. Out of death comes life. That's the mystery of a great principle. Second truth this illustration gives us is continuity. There is a continuity between the seed and the plant. There's DNA inside the seed that is so programmed that will determine that that seed, once dead, will produce something great. Inside of an acorn is the DNA to produce an oak. The seeds that you're going to spit over your fence this summer, those watermelon seeds... There's genetic coding in each one of those seeds that will produce roots, plant, and fruit, watermelon. There is a continuity. Just as there is continuity between seeds and plants, there's also continuity between these bodies that are decaying and the body that will come afterwards. The third truth of this illustration is improvement. How are you going to look? Improved. Much better. And what a great example. Which looks better, a bouquet of flowers or a handful of seeds? Oh, the flowers look a lot better than the seeds. They're the same substance but a different form. This last Mother's Day, did you give your wife, your mother, a handful of seeds? Here, woman, work, grow, grow that stuff. No, I hope you didn't give her beaten up brown dead seeds, but you gave her flowers, the fruit of it. You see, there's a great improvement from the seed that goes into the ground to die and what comes forth from it, the beautiful bouquet of flowers. On a wedding day, does the bride walk down the aisle with a bouquet of seeds? No, a spread of flowers adorns her. I'm going to read these passages in a translation by Eugene Peterson known as The Message. Here's his take on it. We do have a parallel experience in gardening. You plant a dead seed, soon there is a flourishing plant. There's no visual likeness between the seed and the plant. You can never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at a tomato seed. What we plant in the soil and what grows out of it don't look anything alike. The dead body we bury in the ground and the resurrection body that comes from it will be dramatically different. That's helpful, isn't it? The difference between the way you are today and the way you will be in the resurrection is like the difference between dead brown bulbs and a beautiful garden of flowers. Very helpful illustration. That's the botany part 
second illustration is he moves to zoology. Verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. Don't you think it's impossible for a caterpillar to imagine what it will become? I know you're thinking, look, it's impossible for a caterpillar to imagine anything at all because it's a caterpillar. But certainly that caterpillar doesn't look up and go, that's what I'm going to be one day, that butterfly. In fact, I heard about two caterpillars trudging through the grass together and over them soared a beautiful butterfly. And one caterpillar turned to his buddy and said, you wouldn't get me up in one of those things for a million (laughs) dollars. Truth is, you'll be up in one of those things. But you can't imagine the metamorphosis that will take place in that body. Next, he moves on in verse 41 to astronomy, looking up into the night sky. There's one glory of the sun, glory of the moon, glory of the stars. One star differs from another in glory. You look up and you see planets, you see stars, you see the moon. If you have telescopes, moons of other planets and stars in our galaxy. And if you look closely... You even see they're different colors, different colors, different glories, depending on the temperature of the star. It could be yellowish or reddish or even a cold color, bluish. So they're all magnificent. Paul's point, they're all different. What does he mean by this? Well, he could be meaning that in the kingdom age, in glory, in heaven, will be given different positions. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll all receive as Christians rewards or lack thereof for what we do on earth. In fact, we'll do a whole study on that. That in the kingdom, our position in heaven is determined by what we do here on earth. It has nothing to do with salvation by works. The Bible rejects that. It's not salvation. It's your position in the kingdom. In fact, Daniel uses this very wording when he says in Daniel chapter 12, those who are wise will shine as the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now it is true. If you live your life to glorify God, if you make your aim the kingdom of God, you'll never ever regret it. You'll never regret it now. You'll never regret it at death. You'll never regret it in heaven. You'll never look back and go, I think I did too much for God. Yeah, I kind of worked too hard for that spiritual stuff. I should have spent more time on my hobbies. You'll never regret aiming at the kingdom of God. However, I don't think that's the point. I think the point is simply, just as there are different bodies in the sky and on the earth, and they all manifest a different glory, so too your resurrection body will act and look very different from this body that you have now. I'm going to read to you what's on a tombstone. You say, well, that's kind of gross. Uh, But it's a cool tombstone. First of all, it's Ben Franklin's tombstone. And second, he did have in his mind the grasp of physical resurrection. It says, The body of Ben Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and its script of its lettering and gilding lies here. Food for worms. But it will be, as he believed, 
to appear once more in a new and more elegant edition corrected and improved by the author. It's a great way of looking at physical change that will happen with the resurrection. Now let's move on to the last section of this, and that is the, the, the declarations that he makes. Two questions, three illustrations, four declarations as he contrasts this body with the resurrected body. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. Here's the first declaration. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Now, we, we figured that out by now. We deteriorate. Have you noticed that? Over time, we deteriorate. Even the healthiest people weaken over time. I was looking at a picture of Jack LaLanne the other day. Do you know that he is almost 94 years old? And you know what? He looks really good. But, but Jack LaLanne, the godfather of fitness, almost 94, he looks good. But he doesn't look as good as Jack LaLanne used to look. So I've heard people as they look at his picture, boy, this is what they say, he looks good for 94. Now if he looked like he does today at 34, people wouldn't say he looks all that good. Here's the point. Even the healthiest people weaken over time. And that deterioration, that corruption, we go, I, I, I see it. I remember graphically what it was like when I would visit my parents and then the visits would lengthen in time. I wouldn't see them for a long time. And I remember visiting them after a long time away. And my brother was there. He turned to me and goes, Have you noticed how old mom and dad are starting to look? See, now our kids are saying that about us. You don't know it, but they're doing that. <laughs> or you look at an old picture of yourself, right? And you notice the difference. And once you get over that, I can't believe I had that hairdo back then in the 80s or that shirt. You know, you know, when you get past that, you just look at the difference of how you look physically. It's quite a difference. I was speaking to a buddy last week. He goes to this fellowship. Um, and Al was telling me that uh, he was dropping his kids off for a sporting event. And uh, he was picking them up later on. And as he went in to pick up his his girls, he walked into the room where all the kids were up against one side of the wall, and he looked at the group and he noticed an older, rounder man. And he thought, that looks weird, it looks out of place. He, was, he thought in his mind, who's the old fat guy? And he said, as I looked across the room, I noticed that the kids were up against a mirror. It was me. I was looking across the room and I saw the kids and in their midst, my reflection, the old fat guy was me, he said. He said, what a wake-up call that was. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. You know that in glory, no one will ever comment on your age. You know, you start getting uh, comments by people after a certain year. Boy, you're looking really good. Now, they never said that when you were 20. You're looking really good. It's like, yeah, for your age, nobody will ever comment on, boy, the years are taking their toll on you. In fact, get this. You ready? In 20 million years, you'll look better then than you do right now. Hallelujah for that. Look down at verse 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. 
So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, that's your physical resurrection, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Now look at the second declaration made by Paul in our verses. It is sown in dishonor, that is shame. It is raised in glory, verse 43. There is nothing majestic about a dead body. In fact, just the opposite. When a person dies, they quickly put a sheet over the body to hide the gaping, gazing, staring eyes to look at the shame. When a, when, a, when a person expires, when a person dies, they lose all muscle function. I mean all muscle function. It would be like the most embarrassing moment of your life if you were alive. It's shameful. There's a disgrace. And so the body is, is covered up immediately. It's not a flattering event. I mean, we get embarrassed now when people see us without makeup or... You know, I don't have the right tan. I don't want to wear shorts. I'll wait. You know, all of that stuff. When you die, they see it all. And so we are sown in shame, dishonor. We're raised in glory. The body that you and I have now is made for this environment. And this environment only. We can handle 14 pounds of pressure per square inch. That's it. You can't go under the sea. You can't go up into the heavens unless you're in a pressurized cabin or suit. You're earthbound. You live in an environment of 79 to 20 oxygen to nitrogen with 1% of variant gases. That's what you can handle. But imagine in glory. You don't need a suit. You don't need an oxygen tank. You don't need a pressurized cabin. I believe you'll be able to move, transport very quickly, horizontally as well as vertically, as we will see in the New Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 20 and 21. You'll be able to explore and soar, and so sown in dishonor, raised in glory. That's the second declaration. Here's the third. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. That's the third contrast. I get more impressed with how susceptible we are, how vulnerable we are. You know, on one hand, we can get pretty strong and we can withstand an auto accident. We can lift weights and live through a lot. And yet, one single germ, we're flat on our backs. One little microbe, we're wiped out. I read an article just the other day about allergies in the United States of America. And they say that we are actually weakening our children's immune systems year by year by keeping them away from germs that you and I were exposed to when we were kids. And what they said is, if you want to stop allergies, then start exposing your kids to pets and dirt early. Because the scientists are telling us that you program a child's immune system early on. That's when you program it. And if you don't program it right, they'll develop allergies later on. It's amazing how weak and susceptible and vulnerable we can become. If you've never read the book by Johnny Erickson Tata called Heaven, I recommend it to you. Now here's a lady who was paralyzed at an 
young age, early adult life or teenage life from a diving accident. She's paralyzed from the neck down. She's a strong believer, wonderful woman. She's had a long time to think about her glorified, resurrected body. In one of her classic moments in the book, she writes this, One day, no more bulging middles or balding tops. No varicose veins, no crow's feet, no more cellulite or support hose. Forget thunder thighs and highway hips. Now, I would never say that. Only a woman could write those words. And she continues, Just a quick leapfrog over the tombstone, and it's the body you've always dreamed of. Fit, trim, smooth, and sleek. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That's an extreme makeover, the resurrection. Look at the last contrast, the last declaration, verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Now, please don't misunderstand it. Because some people will read that verse and misread it and go, Aha! I knew it. See, we do continue only as a spirit after death. Here we have a physical body, then it will be spiritual. Please finish reading that little phrase. Why do you emphasize the adjective and not the noun? The adjective is spiritual. The noun is what? Body. It's a body. Yeah, but it's spiritual. But it's a body that denotes form, function, physicality. You see, your resurrected body will be spiritual just like we refer to this book as a spiritual book. doesn't mean it's not real. It's non-corporeal. It's immaterial. It's a real physical book, but it's spiritually oriented. It's spiritual in nature. It's dominated by the things of the Spirit. We talk about a person being a spiritual person. doesn't mean that they lack physicality. It just means that they're spiritually dominated. So you have a natural body dominated by the flesh in this life. You'll have a supernatural, that's a better translation, body in the resurrection dominated by the things of the Spirit, not susceptible to temptation, not susceptible to sin, spiritual body. Well, this then is the body you've always dreamed of. This is eternal. This is the extreme makeover. This is heavenly Botox. This is eternal liposuction. This is a forever physique. That's the resurrected body. A couple quick questions to tag at the end of this. What about an infant or an elderly person? If a guy dies at 108, will he look 108 forever? Would that not be like the ultimate bummer? Or an infant to always stay an infant? Or somebody who loses a limb to be that way in the resurrection? I don't believe so. Now, let me take you back. When God first created Adam, and so here you have placed in the garden a fully grown, prime age adult. The next day, how old was Adam? One day old, right? Did he look one day old? Did he look like a baby? Did he look like an infant? No. He looked like a full grown adult in the prime of his life. He had apparent age, right? Okay, now go to our bodies now. Now, our, our DNA uh, in our cells work such that you reach a certain developmental peak and then it's all downhill after that. 
There's anabolic growth. When anabolic growth is exceeded by catabolic growth, breakdown, right before that peak, that's, that's your prime. That's your prime. We don't know exactly when that is. It's somewhere between your 20s and your 30s. There's debate on that. I remember when I was in college and medical training and I was 19 going on 20 and one doctor said, you are right now at your peak development. It's all downhill after this. I thought, get him away from me. But it is true. There's a peak. And I believe that in the resurrection that each person will be at their peak genetic development as the genetic code in you, your, your peak in life. So I don't think you'll forever be an infant or a preemie or an old person. As it says in Revelation 21, the old order of things has passed away. Everything's new. A second question that comes up is cremation. And I get this question asked me a lot, and more and more, because now 30% of Americans cremate their loved ones after death for environmental reasons or for personal emotional reasons or for economic reasons, and creeps other people out. I remember doing a funeral. Well, as we were putting one corpse in the ground, 20 feet away, there was a crematorium roaring with its fires, burning up. It was a really, really kind of a weird experience. So what about it? What about cremating and the resurrection? Well, if you look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible seems to favor burial. It always does. It talks about burying people. And that's because that was their statement of faith of, I believe, in the resurrection of the dead. Just as I am planting this person in the ground, I believe that person will be raised. You see, it was the pantheistic and the pagan cultures that burned the dead. And that's the illustration here. A a seed goes into the ground. Now, having said that, okay, let's push that aside from having said that. Don't for a minute think that it's like too hard for God to resurrect a cremated person or that you get demerits if you're cremated. You know what happens when a person dies? All of them decay. You dig up a corpse in a hundred years, it doesn't look any different than somebody who's been cremated. Cremation will do in three hours what it takes nature 30 years to do. It just speeds up the process. But none of this nonsense like, but what about the resurrection? How is God and the guys are like overall the whole state? (laughs) Do you see how silly that is? Isn't your God the creator? Okay, can't the creator be the resurrector? You think it's any harder for God to resurrect molecules than to make people in the first place? Right? If you can believe the first verse of the Bible, the rest is pretty easy. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If He can do that, I think He can pull off resurrection. Don't you? So, hmm. what a ride we're on in for. What a future. A year ago, just a little over a year ago, I sat at my mother's bedside as she was in a very debilitated, deteriorating condition physically just before she died. She was always on her feet, always vibrant, always cooking breakfast, always happy, always laughing. But not this time. This time she was dying. And I sat at her bedside and all of the boys were there. She reached a, a, such a, a debilitated state physically that she could not even respond at all. And her breathing was labored and you could hear the the choking going on and the lungs filling with fluid and I'm watching and hearing and monitoring. I got to read scripture to her. 
in those final hours. And I remember I said to her, Mom, you know, we're all here and we all love you. She couldn't respond. But what was amazing to me is she responded to the next statement I made. It's like she mustered up all of the strength to respond to this statement. After I said, you know, we love you, no response. I said, Mom, you know, Jesus loves you. With all of the strength, she gave that final approval. She went nodding her head up and down. I know that. And I thought of the resurrection. I thought, this is the last time I'll ever see Mom in that condition. Next time I see her, it won't be in dishonor. It'll be in honor. It won't be in in corruption. It'll be in incorruption and glory. And what a body she will have. And you will have. And no wonder, Paul says, we don't sorrow like people who have no hope. And our hope isn't to be disembodied spirits. Our hope is to be resurrected beings, body joined with soul, The same body, but very different. As different as a seed and a flower are different. So if I were to go back to the poll that was asked, what is the one thing in your life you want to change? I hope the answer would be something like, I want to invest in something that will outlast me. I want to invest in something that will outlast me. Everybody dies. Everybody. So far, isn't that the truth? There's just only been a couple of exceptions in the Bible that we read about. Everybody dies. Everybody will be resurrected. Now, the flip side of all that we've talked about this week and the last few weeks is that unbelievers will also be resurrected and given bodies that will be suitable to endure everlasting torment. Even as you will be given bodies to endure everlasting, not endure, enjoy everlasting life. So it means that right here in this interim time, we put all of our stack, all of our hopes and marbles in just this life. This is where we make choices that really matter forever. If you haven't made a choice to follow Jesus Christ, to have your sins forgiven, and to let Him give you the package deal, which is a lot more than just temporary peace and joy and purpose, The package deal is all that we've been talking about. It's only just begun. Let's pray. Lord, there there are so many thoughts that race through my mind at times like this, so many truths to be brought to bear. We just don't have the time. But we're talking about a condition in the future where there really is no time, where we leave the time and space continuum and we inhabit the eternal realms. And we go into your presence and one day you're coming resurrected. And what the body will be like. And Lord, we think of all of these illustrations and these declarations and we think, wow, can't wait to do things I've always wanted to do but never have been able to do. To have the body we've always dreamed of. That happens to be your plan It includes our body as well as our spirit. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for the hope that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. 
If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.